Your book pricked my guilty conscience. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by PlanScope. PlanScope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using PlanScope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 86 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Reuven Lerner. Hello there. Curtis McHale. Good day. Eric Davis. Hey. Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. We have a special guest, and that's Joe Kuttner. Hi. Joe, since you haven't been on the show before, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a freelance Ruby programmer, and I'm also an author. Uh, I'm pretty active in the uh, JRuby community and I maintain some JRuby open source projects. And I do contracting on Ruby projects. Nice. So you wrote this book called The Healthy Programmer, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting. It fits well with this show because we talk a lot about lifestyle, but how do programming and health intersect? <laughs> yeah, it, it may seem like a, a strange way to scope the topic of, of health to programmers. I mean, and, and certainly... Not all programmers are unhealthy, and and uh, we're not the only folks who who are concerned about our health. But there are there are aspects of our job that I think have an impact on how we take care of our body. Uh, so, for, you know, for example, programming requires a lot of concentration, and as a result of that, we sometimes lose track of other important things like our health, how we're how we're eating, and uh, how often we're getting physical activity. So in the book, I try to uh, address some really simple things you can do to uh, to overcome those problems. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, what was it that prompted you to write the book? <laughs> well, it's it's a it's a topic that's interested me for a, for a long time. Just general health, you know. Aside from from programming, I've always been very athletic and, and just interested in those kinds of things, but. When I got my first job out of college, I immediately noticed changes in my body. You know, I was uh, I was putting on weight. I just didn't feel as uh, as energetic as I had a year before, and so I, I made it sort of a hobby of, of digging into these topics. And uh, at some point, I decided that I had enough material, enough uh, research that I was aware of, and and uh, and things like that to to turn it into a book. But I would say actually the, the real catalyst was when I started seeing research and, and seeing more and more people talk about the impact that physical, physical, physical activity has on your mind and your ability to, to think and ultimately be smarter because that's, that's really important to us as programmers. Yeah, I, I, I've definitely seen that. Um, when I was working for a company here in Salt Lake City, one of my coworkers frequently would when he noticed that he was, you know, feeling a little bit run down or I looked like I was kind of losing focus, he would recommend that we go for a walk. And uh, that's something that you recommend in your book. And it was always something that, you know, just 10 minutes, we'd, you know, go walk around the parking lot and come back. Mm -hmm. And it made a huge difference in our ability to kind of finish out the day strong and, and get stuff done. Yeah, I find that if uh, I'm up against a tough problem or, uh, you know, trying to debug some tough code or something like that, and I'm really stuck. One of the best ways to get unstuck is just to go for a walk. Uh, there's no doubt about the effects it has on your brain actually causing your brain to create proteins that, that uh, help you remember things better and, and solve problems better. But actually, you know, it, it's, it has a, a big impact on your health, too. And I think for a long time, 
I wouldn't go for walks or I wouldn't go out and get five minutes of, uh, you know, brisk walking or walking stairs or something because I figured it was a waste of time. But the fact is, those small little spurts of activity throughout the day, you know, five minutes every hour can actually be more important to your health than, for example, a 30 minute trip to the gym. So it's, uh, that's, it's that's these really small things that. No, I mean, I, I mean, I was just saying in our back channel that I, I love to walk and I walk from my client's offices, uh, from the train station to the client's office and back. And so I see that as, wow, this is wonderful. I get some walking in. But if I'm working at home for the day, um, sometimes I'll say, well, I've got a few minutes. And, and I really never thought about even going outside for a walk for five or 10 minutes because I thought of it as a, a waste of time. And you're basically saying, no, 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 this is, this is really good for you. And this is a good habit too. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. It's, and it's interesting that you mentioned working from home because, you know, when I've worked in office environments, I actually find that it's quite a bit easier to get, uh, to get more step count, to get a little bit more walking. I'm the guy that recommends that instead of having a meeting, sitting down in a meeting room, we go outside and, I'll walk around and <laughs> on a trail or something. Uh, but at home, boy, I find that uh, if, if I'm tracking my step count, it's absurdly low. You know, the most walking I do if I don't try is, uh, you know, shuffling between my office and, and the bathroom around the corner. <laughs> and uh, so I have to be, I have to really be conscious about it, uh, working from remote environments. Yeah, I can, I can definitely attest to that. I mean, I, I've had a Fitbit for a long time and I, put it on, you know, this last week or so. And if I make it out for a walk or make it down to the gym, you know, I'll get eight, nine, 10,000 steps in a day. But if I don't, it's usually like 2,500 steps, which is really, really low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, step count, again, it seems like a simple thing to track and it seems almost like a trivial thing to track, but, uh, it really turns out that it's important. There, there's a high correlation between people who take more steps and uh, their health and even their, their lifespan. Uh, a number of studies have shown that people who work in jobs that require them to be more physically active, uh, good examples are restaurant servers, nurses, farmers, uh, that they tend to live longer. Yeah, and, and, you know, I definitely see that. I'm also diabetic, and, and I've read a few studies that actually show that the more active you are, has more of an effect on your overall health, on your blood sugar levels and everything else than your medication does. And that yeah. if you're, you know, if you're highly active for 30 minutes, it's actually, you know, it's equivalent, I think, to two doses of your, your medication is, is I think what they figured out minus all the side effects. Like you, you don't, you don't run the risks of like overdosing on your drugs kind of thing with your, exercise, but you get all the positive benefits that you would get from the medicine that you're taking. And so it's, it's highly effective that way. It, it just makes a big difference. Yeah, there's, um, there's some real good science there looking at people and, and medications and walking. Uh, w one study that, that I often reference was done in Japan a few years ago on a group of about 250 adults who were doing no physical activity or, or no formal exercise prior to the study. And they were enrolled in a, a five-month walking program where they just simply supplemented their day with uh, a little bit of walking, some brisk, some moderate. And at the end of the study, uh, they found that the participants uh, who had done the walking uh, had significant increase in, in their uh, aerobic capacity, thigh muscle strength. It had uh, significant drops in blood pressure and uh, ultimately reduced their, their risks of uh, lifestyle disease, lifestyle-related diseases like diabetes, heart disease. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, just the difference that makes. Um, I've also heard that diet makes more of a difference than exercise. Have you have you seen that or seen? Well, yes. Yeah, so uh, it depends what your goals are. Now, before talking about diet, I, I always say there, there's three things that you should never talk to people about, and it's politics, religion, and diet. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, diet's a tough thing to talk about, and I think it's because we're all kind of experts. I mean, we've pretty much been eating almost our whole life. So we know a thing or two about, you know, what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And so there isn't really a, a one-size-fits-all diet. And uh, I think there's some real movement in that direction. There was a recent uh, commentary in, in JAMA, the Journal of American something, and uh, it was called an end of the, end of the diet debates. And the idea is that 
uh, we need to stop focusing on the sort of the macronutrient composition of our diets because most studies are showing that the difference between whether it's Atkins or Mediterranean diet or whatever, that these differences are, are marginal and that there's a much bigger impact on simply the number of calories we eat, our lifestyle interventions, and even um, the psychological issues that, that go along with it. Because, you know, that, and that's, that's another reason that it's difficult to talk about diet is uh, for a lot of people, it's, it's a psychological issue. And I think it's, it's important, important to consider that. So uh, back to your original point, if your goal is to lose weight, then yeah, it's pretty clear that, that your diet is the largest factor. I see a lot of people who are trying to lose weight and so they'll start running, you know, something like that. And uh, if you look at the calories that you burn when, you're, when you go for a run, like a 20-minute run, it might be a few hundred calories over what you would have otherwise burned, which is the equivalent of about a muffin. So <laughs> you could either not eat that muffin or go for a 20-minute run. It's, uh, it's your choice. Now, I mean, exercise has a lot of different health impacts, not just your weight. But, uh, but if your goal is taking off some pounds, it's definitely diet is one area you need to be focused on. Yeah, I found with diet, and you may not know this, but I do a ton of cycling, which I've talked about on the show previously. But mm-hmm. my biggest challenge with diet is when I'm going from you know, 300 to 400 kilometers a week down to a couple hundred because of life or we're in a relaxing week and keeping up the diet to where it was when I was exercising, you know, puts on a couple pounds pretty easy in a week. And it's yeah, eating the yeah. same stuff, same healthy things, same everything. It's just not tracking it and not realizing how much I'm burning uh, versus how much I'm actually consuming. Yeah. And endurance sports and endurance exercise, I, I know uh, I'm, I'm a big cyclist too, actually. And it's amazing the effect it has on your appetite. As soon as I start a training regime or, or whatever, I get hungry well beyond the amount of calories that I'm burning. And uh, when I start pulling back, I, I often keep eating at the same level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be tough to deal with. When I was in high school, my uh, swim coach, I did swimming in high school, he actually <laughs> warned us all. He's like, he's like, you see this? And he kind of points to himself. He's like, this is what happens when you quit swimming and keep eating like you're swimming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a, he was trying to give us that life lesson, you know, don't do what I did. Yeah, but I, Joe, what you said about uh, exercising calories. So, you know, I have an, I have an app on my uh, phone for keeping track of how many steps I'm taking per day. And I sometimes go on a treadmill and every so often I'll calculate uh, how many calories I've burned. And it is sort of shockingly low compared to how many calories you consume in food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, does it take into account your uh, basal metabolic rate, Reuven? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to plead ignorance on this one. So this what, is something. What is the basal? Yeah, yeah. 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 Let me so, put that more bluntly. I have no idea what you're talking about. So, so <laughs> I've, I've been kind of, uh, interested in this stuff for a while, mainly because I was diagnosed with type two diabetes about seven years ago. But anyway, um, your basal metabolic rate is basically, um, the amount of energy it, ca- it would take to keep you alive if you didn't do anything or you were basically sedentary all day long. And so, you know, your body burns a certain amount of energy just to keep you alive. And then the the rest of your calorie burn on top of that is, okay, I walked around or I went and worked out or, you know, I went down the stairs or whatever, picked up the remote and changed the channel. That makes sense. No, I mean, the, the, the app on my phone just asked me how much I weigh and the treadmill didn't even do that. So I'm, I'm guessing the treadmill is going to be less accurate, but I never really thought about it in terms of how much I need this basal metabolic rate, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Yeah, it also talks about it in the book. I saw the, the formulas in there. I don't remember exactly where, but... Yeah, and there's a um, there's a companion app to my book for iPhone, and there's a little calculator in there that uh, you plug in a few metrics, and it'll give you your, your BMR, your BMI, and uh, some other things. That was one thing... Now, I really... what do you think about BMI, though? Because as a cyclist oh, for many, yeah. many, many years, I have monster quads and i'm five foot eight and a half and like 180 pounds is kind of on the heavy side in the winter but i'm always like way over my bmi Mm -hmm. yeah and i tend to be too because um i'm just a little bit broader i'm fairly lean but uh i i think bmi it's gotten a pretty bad rap lately and uh because it's very one-dimensional well i guess technically it's two-dimensional but there's many more dimensions to your health right 
So I think when considering something like BMR, just or BMI, just like when you consider your weight, you have to uh, balance that with other factors. So uh, in and of itself, yeah, there there are studies that correlate it with uh, things like heart disease and type two diabetes. But in each particular case, you need to factor in uh, other things about you and in uh, your body type and and everything else. Yeah, I've always said when asked by friends that the BMI relates more to a sedentary person than someone who's, I guess, an athlete or someone who's been doing it for a while, right? Yeah, I think I think that's probably true. Yeah, but uh, it really it really comes down to making uh, a broad muscle. generalization here, right? This is a broad, yeah, broad generalization there. Yeah, I mean it's still height to weight or weight to height. I don't remember which one, but you know it's not it's not a perfect measure, and I think most people who get out and you know, exercise regularly and are eating right and, you know, feel really good most, most of the time. I mean, I think they know that they're healthy or generally healthy. Um, whereas, you know, the, the people who are really concerned about their BMI are the people who are obese or morbidly obese or, you know, just, just don't pay attention to it until somebody comes up and says, this number's really off. Yeah. I, I like to compare it to, uh, if you were monitoring a, a production server and you only looked at CPU usage. You wouldn't really have a complete picture of uh, how your application is running and, and the health of that application. And that doesn't mean CPU isn't important. CPU usage isn't important, but you really have to consider the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a great analogy. So I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the, what do, what do we call them, fads, I guess? I, I want to get your opinion on some of these. So one of them, and you talk a lot about it in the book, in Chapter 3, is the standing desk. Mm. And so, you know, basically you bring up the point that sitting is probably killing you. And then you also bring up the point that standing may not be the best option for you either, depending on what your health situation is. So I'm kind of curious, you know, how uh, strongly do you recommend that people get a standing desk? And, you know, if they're not really cut out for standing, you know, because they have one of some of these uh, health issues that make it somewhat dangerous to do, what do you recommend to those people? Right. So I, I do usually recommend that folks tr- at least try a standing desk and uh, and and like you said there um it's not necessarily right for everybody but it turns out that best position to work from is whatever position you're not currently in so changing positions is really the goal and really w- the purpose of using a standing desk isn't so much to get you to stand um standing in itself the the amount of cal- extra calories you burn are pretty small. I think it's something like 50 an hour at, at most. And then you create other risks, like uh, standing puts a, a large strain on your circulatory system, so it increases your risk of developing blood clots or, uh, or varicose veins and things like that. The real purpose for standing is that it makes you more likely to move around or walk around or change position. So actually, studies done with students uh, in, in classrooms have shown that the students who work from a standing desk are just more likely to step away, go for a walk, and get that little bit of physical activity that we already talked about is, is very important. So it's important to, you know, look at your own personal situation. And I mean, I think that's true with any health recommendation. Uh, you really, there are very few things that I or any other health uh, expert can say unequivocally everybody should do. Uh, for example, some people uh, like treadmill desks, walking desks, and uh, and studies have shown by and large, that those are those are good for you. They increase your caloric expenditure. They're just great for your health. But those same studies have shown that they actually reduce your productivity by about fifteen percent, uh, and that's due to a, a decrease in dexterity while you're walking. Now, most of those studies were done on people doing true typing activities, which, you know, for programmers, I, if you if all you're doing is typing, then you're probably creating more problems than you're solving. But Again, it's 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 about finding what works for you. Uh, I find that a treadmill desk doesn't work for me. It, I find it distracting, and um, I'd rather just get on a treadmill when I'm ready to take a break. Yeah, and see, I actually use a treadmill desk. Um, I'm just standing right now, but I found that when I'm not on a treadmill, like right now, I'm standing, so I'm actually dancing around and you know bouncing <laughs> from thing to thing. Like I'm extremely distracted. But then when I'm sitting, I like you know the afternoon slump. I kind of doze off. 
But if I'm on the treadmill desk in the afternoon, like I'm focused, I work until my wife gets home. Like it's, it's the perfect environment for me at that time. But like you said, it took experimentation and trying different things to figure that out. Yeah, that's, that's a great point because, uh, I think just as with any software process, it's, you've got to try new things, experiment and, and iterate, you know, I've tried standing all day and I found that that just didn't work. <laughs> it made my legs very tired and, and didn't really probably give me that much of a benefit. So yeah, I, I also like uh, getting on the treadmill in the afternoon. I find that works and learned it through experimentation. Nice. No, we, we actually got a treadmill from my office, I guess about six months ago, maybe a little less. Uh, and then I went away for the summer. So I really haven't had a chance to use it as much as I would have liked, but the idea was to, experiment with it. And so far, I haven't really experimented. I've just sort of walked on it maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes at a time. But I really hadn't thought about using it in the afternoon. I sort of thought, thought of it more as a sort of like a morning wake up thing. But I'm going to have to try that, actually. It sounds like a really smart idea. Yep. So one thing that I thought was interesting about the book as I read it was that you, you seem to put things into a context that programmers understand. So I mean, you talked about sort of unit testing your, you know, your fitness. And so you talked about, you know, here are some, you know, unit tests that you can answer sort of thing. There was, I'm, I'm trying to remember all of the different instances that I saw. Yeah, the biggest agile. one was the, the agile diet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I caught a lot of flack for that, uh, that analogy from people who didn't read the chapter. But uh, I think it's a fair comparison or a fair analogy. And, and a lot of this stuff, unit testing, thinking about, your health in uh, two week, two week increments and doing a daily stand up like you would in scrum. Uh, those kinds of things. Yeah, we do them in software because they work, but, uh, not just with my health. I, I find that those are just a great way to, uh, make change in your own life, a positive change. And, and, uh, I think those kinds of, uh, like Kaizen type approaches, uh, are, are universal. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's kind of, uh, an interesting, you know, way of, of doing things. And I, I was going to make the joke that I'm an, I'm an agile, uh, agile dieter because I'll eat Twinkies or Ho-Hos. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, the key there is, is like I said, experimentation, but it's also about, uh, the, the reason I call it an agile diet is that much like in software, the, the worst thing you can do is stick to a plan when that plan isn't working. And I think a lot of folks do that with their diet. They'll find something that's fashionable that sounds appealing. And it, it as you start out, it's great. Uh, you're happy with it. And then after some time, uh, you become disinterested with it or you find that you're not continuing to lose weight if that's your goal. And that's why it's important to, to take those things in chunks. And I recommend try, try a diet for two weeks. And if it's not working, try a different diet. Or if you're tired of it or if, if it's not making you happy, then iterate. Because that, that's important. If your diet doesn't make you happy, if what you eat day to day is not enjoyable, then your diet's not going to be successful. And everybody has different tastes. So it's, uh, it's important to try different strategies and find what works for you. And that's what's important. It's like any kind of real scientifically based diet, you're going to find that if you stop, like if you stick with it for six months and then stop it, like you go back to where you were or worse. So you have to, like I use the term diet all the time and people say, oh, you're on a diet? And I say, well, no, I'm using diet as the collection of food that I eat as an organism, like the biological term. Mm -hmm. And so I look at that as that. And it's my diet is basically something that I kind of add stuff to, subtract stuff to, but it's something that I haven't really changed heavily in four or five years now because I found what worked for me and, you know, I'm, I stuck with it. And I, you know, if I feel like I need to make it one little change, I'll do it scientifically, like, you know, swap this in, see if I feel better whether it's weight, uh, more energy, any kind of factor that I'm looking at. But the important thing is to, to stick with it and not like, you know, not jump from fad to fad and not do something that's so unreasonable that I'm not going to be able to sustain it for more than a year. Yeah, I've, I've heard several times uh, from people basically saying that the best diet for you to be on is the one you're going to stick with. And I think that's really the case. You know, if it's effective, in other words, you know, you feel healthier, you are healthier and, uh, you know, you can stick with it, then it's a good diet for you. I have another question, and that's related to ergonomics. I mean, one of the one of the things that you put in here was basically unit testing your vision, and so you you talk about eye strain and headaches and things like that, and you know, kind of appropriate since yesterday I was out with a headache. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
Can, can you just summarize some of the um, advice you have for folks on that? Yeah, um, there's, there's a few things that uh, I think are common mistakes. One is sitting with your face too close to the screen, and one is sitting too far. Your monitor should be about 20 to 40 inches from your, from your face. So a good way to test that uh, is to stick your arm out in front of you, and if you can touch your monitor, your arm is about 20 inches long. So if you can touch your monitor, then you might consider moving further away. Another problem is not looking away. So there's this great rule called the 20-20-20 rule. And the idea is every 20 minutes, you look at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And uh, that should be enough to help reduce eye strain. And, and actually, eye strain is one of the things that sort of in, often induces headaches. And also that 20-20-20 rule fits in really nicely with uh, the Pomodoro technique and taking Pomodoro breaks. So that works really well for me. One thing that I found that contributes to my headaches is uh, whether or not I've had a lot of caffeine. You know, I come back off of the caffeine high. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I'll wind up with a headache, a headache from that. Yeah, caffeine's interesting because an initial dose of caffeine uh, will often help relieve a headache. But uh, the studies or the research that I've read uh, suggests that you can get what's called a rebound headache, where after that initial discomfort goes away, you end up with another headache. So that's why I often avoid uh, drugs like Excedrin, where they include a uh, acetaminophen with caffeine. And the purpose of the caffeine is to get the acetaminophen into your bloodstream and more quickly affect the headache. But it's it's I think you have to be careful when using uh, caffeine to to help with that kind of problem. Mm-hmm. That's not to say coffee or, or caffeine is uh, inherently bad. Um, I mean, there's plenty of research to suggest that it's actually good. Just uh, have to use it accordingly. Yep. So what about uh, things like neck position and uh, like your posture? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, posture when you're, when you're sitting down is, is tough. And there's a lot of things you have to, to take into consideration. Uh, in fact, as part of the research for the book, I, I talked to uh, musicians who study how to hold your body, how to position your body, and how to control and move your body. Because, you know, pianists have had the issues that we've had for many hundreds of years before us. We didn't invent carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, they've learned how to deal with it. In fact, at schools like uh, Juilliard or the Royal College of Music in London, young pianists actually take posture and movement as part of the curriculum. So wow. one of the researchers, yeah, one of the researchers that I talked to, uh, I'm sorry, one of the experts that I talked to, he instructs pianists, singers, and even computer users how to, how to hold their body. And one of the things he told me was that, that your posture, everybody's posture, uh, is unique. And, uh, that's because of the, the subtle differences in our proportions, the length of our arm to our torso and all of that. And so finding the right posture or position for you, just like everything else we've talked about, requires experimentation and iteration. And he actually recommends observing yourself using mirrors or even video cameras so that you can watch yourself as you work and see, is it your shoulders that start to hunch or your back that starts to slouch and learning how to correct that. Now, the bottom line, though, is no matter how good your posture is, if you're sitting for very long periods of time or even if you're standing for for some of that time, you're going to probably start to slouch or, or have pain in certain areas. And most of the time, that's the result of simply of weak muscles because when we're holding a position, we need our muscles to support our spine and prevent it from flexing too much because it's that flexation that, that leads to what we just often describe as back pain. So the, the best thing you can do for your posture or for that kind of back and neck pain uh, is just a few simple exercises that are uh, designed to improve the stability of your core muscles and, and your supporting muscles. And I talk about that a, a good bit in the book. They're not The exercises that I recommend are based on simply what some of the leading researchers recommend, and they're not what you might expect. Uh, they're not crunches, that's for sure. Uh, they're exercises that emphasize stability without flexing your spine because that's what's important to us as de- desk jockeys is stability. Uh, a mixed martial artist might need 
dynamic movement or the ability to uh, rapidly twist their spine. Uh, but we don't need that. And my, uh, my brother-in-law is a physical therapist. And just about every time he came to visit our house, he would look at me working and say, oh, my God, you're totally sitting the wrong way. You're not doing the right thing. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. And I see it every day and you know, it made me feel really bad. Uh, as well as that, we feel good. But I think one of the major things that I did this summer, which really helped, was I got a detachable keyboard. I usually use my uh, my laptop as my main computer. And so I had to sit close to the computer, close to the desk in order to be able to use it. And by getting a separate keyboard that plugged in, I find that now I can sit in a way that is even acceptable to my brother-in-law and, quite frankly, makes me feel better as well. Yeah, I struggle with when I'm working from my laptop. And actually, that's, I think, a point that's really relevant to this discussion about freelancing is, you know, the best part about being a freelancer is that uh, I can go work from wherever I want to. But uh, sometimes that means I don't have a good workspace, you know. My favorite coffee shop has nowhere that I can stand up. Uh, I do have one coffee shop that has sort of a, a counter that I work from that's standing height. But yeah, if I'm sitting in a, an uncomfortable chair and I'm on my laptop and I'm hunched over, I very quickly develop discomfort. But I'm the kind of person, I'll work from a hotel lobby. <laughs> and just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I went up to the, the front desk of the hotel and I was like, can I just work from here? So I'm standing at the counter where everybody was probably wondering what, what was wrong with me, <laughs> but working from my improvised standing desk. Yep. So what's, what's kind of the most important point out of the book? I think the most important point is that in order to be the best programmer you can be and to continue being a programmer for a very long time, you need to increase your physical activity in just small amounts and just you know simple things as we've discussed. But, uh, you know, I think as programmers, we're, we're very often trying to improve our productivity, you know. So we have a million blogs and, and discussions on how, how to set your VimRC file or, or something like that. But the best way to improve your productivity uh, is by taking care of yourself, both in, in your health and, and, for, and for your mind. Yeah, when I, when I was reading the book and the initial, I think it was the preface, actually, um, it, it really struck home to me, and it was all stuff that I had heard before and that I knew that you need to be healthy, you need to take care of yourself, that you'll get more done, that you you know it helps your brain, it helps your body, you feel better, you're able to put more hours in if you need to, you're able to you know be flexible if you need to, you can you know all of these different things, and you know it it really just made me feel a little bit guilty, I have to say. <laughs> Uh, about not doing them because I know that I need to and I know that ultimately, say, if I go to the gym for a half hour or an hour, you know, it's time that I will earn back. And so, um, you know, I just need to make it priority. And uh, so I, I, I highly recommend to people now that they, you know, go read this book if you're a programmer. I mean, he speaks our language to us about our health. And, uh, you know, it's a terrific book and it really does just break things down and go, Hey, look, you know, here's how you, here's how you think about this the same way you think about the other things that you do. Were there other areas of the book that you guys wanted to talk about? Different things that jumped out at you? There's a, a couple areas that I, I try to remember because I read healthy programmer a while ago, like in the first few betas. And then I've been reading some other books around exercise and um, the brain connection. And so there's uh, quite a bit about how exercise actually helps your brain and how, as an, from an evolutionary perspective, why that works like that. And actually this book was the first kind of inkling I saw of that. And it kind of led me into um, another book called spark and then a couple other places, but that's something it's pretty interesting how, how just by moving around that makes you think better and actually like the chemical reactions and, you know, the mechanics of how that works instead of just, you know, yeah, go out and go out and run and you'll be better. Yeah. And you talk about the, from the evolutionary perspective, there's some really interesting emerging hypotheses on on that. Uh, for example, one hypothesis is that our our brains evolved to be superior, not because of uh, our diet or because we ate a lot of fish, as was you know previously thought, uh, but maybe that uh, because of the way we hunt prey. It's that that movement may actually be, from an evolutionary perspective, responsible for the size of our brain and, and our intelligence, and that's. The reason for that is uh, is based very much in science. Uh, there are, pro as I said earlier, there there are proteins that are secreted in our brain when we exercise 
that improve uh, the connections between neurons. It actually promotes the growth of new neurons and uh, protects them from damage and stress. I think, uh, you know, and I guess also on the, the topic of evolutionary biology is uh, something I talk about in the book is uh, vitamin D synthesis. And I think it's another area where we've really uh, gone away f- negatively from from what our bodies need. Uh, so we're spending the vast majority of our life indoors with a little exposure to sunlight, uh, which, of course, means that we're not synthesizing vitamin D. And as a result, the majority of the population, uh, in most cases, has a vitamin D deficiency. Is, is that it, true regardless of where you live? Like, I can imagine it, in the Northeast where it's kind of cold. But, I mean, I live in Israel where it's pretty sunny a lot of the year. It's even true in it's even it's even it is true in most places. It's even true in Australia. There was a study done wow uh, in 2005 on Australian office workers, and more than 50 percent of the office workers had a vitamin D deficiency. And if you know anything about Australia, actually, I, I lived there as a kid, and I remember not being allowed to go play outside without a hat on because <laughs> sun is such a big concern. But certainly, people with darker skin, uh, folks of Hispanic origin that live at higher latitudes uh, really are probably the most in danger of this. And uh, we can, we can increase our, our vitamin D levels. It appears somewhat through dietary intake, uh, but more and more uh, there, there's science suggesting that, that that is just not a good substitute for synthesizing vitamin D the way mother nature evolved us to do so well over millions of years. So we should just get, get out and get more sun on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, and and for people with uh, fair skin, uh, it can be as simple as uh, ten minutes of sunlight exposure on large areas of skin per day to get the uh, the necessary vitamin D. Uh, as much as six times longer for folks with uh, much darker skin. But again, it's important to uh, don't take what I'm saying the wrong way. Don't go burn yourself in the sun because obviously that's not good for uh, in terms of skin cancer and, and whatnot. But we do uh, we do probably need more sunlight. Yep. You go outside, you do the Wally thing, you open up your panels and recharge. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about the app for a minute. Did did you write the iPhone app or did somebody else write it for you? Yeah, I did. I've got a little bit of experience doing iOS programming and I thought uh, initially I'd wanted to do a website, but I thought that uh, a mobile application would be uh, a little bit more useful tool. Yeah, it's something that you have with you. One thing that I thought was interesting is that you have all the goals in here from the book, and uh, so you can just mark it off, you know, buy a pedometer. I already have one, you know, and so I can mark that off. Check your resting heart rate, so you do that and you mark it off. And then you've got the log where you can add things to your log, which is kind of nice. And this checklist, the daily checklist, which is really kind of nice for me because I can sit down and just say, okay, I, I did this and, you know, check done. Yeah, so that that checklist is is something that I build up in the book. Uh, as you read through the book, um, I explain why each of those five items exists, and in summary, their plan have a you know effectively a daily stand up like you would in in a scrum or something. Walk, so get is just get twenty minutes of walking a day, even if you split it up and spread it throughout the day. Another one is uh, eat five servings of fruit and vegetables. And while I said it's, you know, it's difficult to have general rules that work for everybody about eating, I do like that rule in part because it's inclusive instead of, you know, excluding things that you keep saying you can't eat this and you can't eat that. Here's some things that you should eat and can't eat. Try to aim to aim for that. Uh, the, uh, the third one is move. So use a standing desk, change positions often, just maybe uh, several times an hour change positions. And then the last one is build strength uh, using some of the exercises I talked about to uh, increase the stability of your core muscles. The app also has a a built-in Pomodoro timer for Pomodoro workouts, which is sort of an idea I've promoted in which you use the Pomodoro technique, which is uh, working for about 20 to 30 minutes, taking a five-minute break, and then repeating. Uh, But during that five-minute break, mixing in some walking some simple physical activity and that uh, that timer integrates with the log so it automatically records it for you so you can go back and look at the progress you've made 
I think keeping a logbook, however you do it, uh, is important for your health because changes to our body and changes to our health take a really long time to, to become visible and they take much longer years to become permanent. So recognizing those kinds of changes, whether they're positive or negative, is difficult. And that's why I think it's important to, to keep track of, of the progress you've made and what you've done. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and the, the Pomodoro workouts and stuff are all at the end of the book. One of the last chapters, he talks about that and, and the approach. And it's it's kind of a cool deal. Of course, sometimes I use my Pomodoro breaks when I'm doing Pomodoros to like go use the bathroom and other necessities. So, Well, you know, uh, studies have found that a break as simple as getting up and going to the bathroom can actually be good for your health. If it means that you're, uh, that you're not sitting for two, three, even four hours without getting any movement, then yeah, there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and you address this in the book, but just how evil is sitting? <laughs> it's it's if it was a James Bond villain, it would be uh it would be Spectre number one. It would it would be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have this uh nine hundred dollar death trap that I bought that I sit in every day. <laughs> Yeah, I have the Aaron Herman Miller chair. Does that help at all, having, you know, a really nice chair, or does it really not matter? You know, uh, supposedly, and and there is some interesting research, it helps helps people deal with pain. Honestly, I just, my primary chair is a drafting stool that I keep next to my standing desk so I can switch back and forth. And I'm not on that stool more than 20 minutes at a time usually. So I don't, I'm not on there long enough to notice any discomfort. But in terms of the studies that show certain kinds of chairs relieving discomfort, similar results have been found with uh, studies on uh, Swiss balls, fitness balls, which uh, increase the activation of those core muscles. So you're, by balancing a little bit on that ball, you might be doing things that help prevent discomfort. So I think a good chair is great. And I think it's important. But I think it's more important that you have a lot of options, that you have uh, a Swiss ball you can sit on, a regular chair you can work on, a standing desk, which will allow you just to keep moving and keep active. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I went and I got one of those IKEA standing desk deals that they talk about on Lifehacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the $22 desk, and you know I spent 30 bucks on mine because prices have gone up on some of the parts. But um, it went together pretty easily, and... It's kind of nice just to be able to stand and work, but I find that I don't I don't move all that much. I'm just standing there. So I have two questions related to that, and the first one is is you know what should I be doing while I'm standing there? Should I actually be trying to move or? Yeah, you should be dancing. All right, <laughs> I'll, I'll put on some. some it's true. I'll, I'll, I'll put the on dance, some the dancing new dancing. podcast of dance moves while you're coding, right? <laughs> yeah, do the head bob. <laughs> And and the other question I have is, how do you keep track of how often you need to switch from standing to sitting? Because you said every 20 minutes, but I mean, I, I get sucked into what I'm working on and I'll look up and three hours have gone by. So how do I prompt myself to get out of the chair or to get back into the chair? So to your to your first question, what do you do? I've experimented with a lot of different things, including balance boards. There's one that I really like uh, called, I think it's called a spooner, but it's like this $50 toy basically that's for for kids that want to pretend like they're doing cool skateboard tricks and it it's like a bowl and you kind of stand on the edges and it wobbles and that that act of balancing i find uh uses or uh you know keeps me from getting little discomfort points but there's also uh, there's no real evidence of this but some people suggested that balancing in that way actually improves your creativity because it's forcing you to use uh, both sides of your brain. And while that's not necessarily uh, been proven, we do know that therapists will use balance boards for patients that are that have suffered from a stroke as part of their rehabilitation. So it's definitely doing something for our minds. Mm-hmm. Another thing uh, that I recently read uh, an article on, I, I don't know because it's so new, I don't know if there's any science behind this, uh, is doing yoga positions from your standing desk. And that's sort of something I've been playing around with just different forms and different positions. But yeah, no, it, you know, no matter what you're doing, if you're, if you're standing for an extremely long period of time, it's, it's going to become tiresome and, and probably uncomfortable. And I, the way I solve that is I have a timer on my desk. 
and I set that timer for my Pomodoro workouts, uh, whether I'm doing it formally or informally. And I, I, while it's easy to become absorbed in our work and that feels productive, I, I find almost every time that the best path to productivity is to interrupt myself. So I step away, come back, reset, and refreshed. And I often have new ideas and I, I get stuck less often. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess if you're following Pomodoro, then when you break for your Pomodoro break, then you can just come back and sit if you were standing or stand if you were sitting. Yep, that's exactly what I do. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Joe. It's It's been fun to talk about. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I, I feel smarter about this stuff. So. <laughs> and and the book explains it in a way to where it's not 10 million ideas, it's just simple things. And that it's, it's really nice that way. So anyway, let's uh, let's do the picks. Curtis. Do you want to start us off with the picks? Sure. Since we're talking fitness, I'll or pick my uh, app that I use for kind of food tracking and weight tracking. Uh, more often when I'm getting into the cycling season and not as much now, but it's called My Fitness Pal. Uh, it's great because you can actually scan the food you're eating uh, and it will, yeah, put all your calories right in there and show you exactly what you're using. And it supports Canadian stuff and most other ones do not. You can scan the barcode on the food. Eric, who's asking questions in chat, and it'll put everything right in there for the serving size, and you can measure it, and there's, it's great. I got a little scale that actually goes with it for like $10 um, to weigh, like even weigh the yogurt you're eating, and you can tell exactly how many calories you eat, and I was very surprised the first time about how healthy I ate, but how much I actually ate. It was like triple my calories that I really needed. Yep. You know, yeah, I talk to people about different tools and apps and stuff, and I cannot tell you how many people recommend that app. And I've I've used it myself, and I find it to be excellent. Yeah, I've used it too. I really like it. Eric, what are your picks? All right, so my pick, it's actually two, but it's a two-part blog post. Um, It's by Biz. It's called How to Double Your Revenue and Profit, Really? Uh, It's a pretty good one because it kind of gets into, like, optimizing different parts of your business. And, you know, it goes over it and kind of does it in detail where it's not a big dramatic change. Like, you have to, like, unveil a new product or hire 30 new employees, but it's more of an incremental approach. Um, and this is kind of what I've been doing a little bit, um, I guess, past few months and following a different process, but the exact same steps. So it's interesting if you're interested in kind of getting some incremental gains and kind of doing a little bit better, you know, over the next few months. Nice. Reuven, what are your picks? All right. So I've got uh, four picks for today, two sort of on topic and two less so. First one is, I'm also going to mention the app that I use on my phone called Acupedo, which is a pedometer app. And I have an Android phone. Uh, apparently, they have an iPhone, iOS version as well. And I've had it on there for a while. And it's just nice to be able to keep track of how many steps I'm taking each day, how far I've gone. Um, has cute little graphs as well. Uh, the second thing is, I'm, I'm a big fan of The New Yorker. I've been subscribing, I guess, for about a year and a half now and reading it before then. So just as a general pick, I think The New Yorker is a great, great, fun thing to read. Interesting articles, super well written. And uh, I guess, yeah, it was in May, May of this year, that they had an article by Susan Orlean about treadmill desks. And I remember reading it, and the first part of it I said, this has got to be the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And (laughs) fortunately, she explains in the article not only how treadmill desks are actually useful and good, but that you're not walking at full speed while on them, which was a point that I had somehow missed. So I had these images of people walking very, very quickly and trying to type at the same time and trying to figure out how that could possibly work. And basically, in the wake of that article, I got the treadmill, and I have yet to arrange it into a desk, but it gave me a lot of inspiration, a lot of very interesting uh, fitness information about uh, about how that can work. Uh, and then the two other, uh, two other picks that I have, just there's a screencast series called Emacs Rocks, which I hadn't picked before, which is kind of fun. Uh, the guy's perhaps a little overdramatic, and excited about Emacs, even more excited than I am. But uh, but he's got some good demonstration, good screencast there. And the last pick is I finally, finally, you know, came out a week or so ago as of this podcast, uh, Mavericks, the new version of the Mac OS. And uh, so far, everything has actually worked super, super smoothly. I cannot say that I see huge differences. So it's worth the zero money that they charged. But everything seems stable, apps working, everything I have with Homebrew is working. So uh, the fact that things have not gone kaput is actually a positive thing in my eyes. So anyway, that's it for me for this week. Awesome. Jeff, what are your picks? So there's a Stir Kinetic Desk, and I've not used it, but in the vein of the show, and as um, Joe mentioned a couple of times, that 
the healthiest position is the one you're not in. And so if you're not as religious with Pomodoro and being able to switch your uh, switch your setup regularly, stir, and I think there's another one that you can program and it will move for you. So given some period of time and it will raise or lower and switch your position and you adjust. And so, I don't know, it's interesting. And the other is an Emacs. This is an article... I forget the guy's name, but it's Emacs as my leader, and it's just a, I don't know, throw fire on the holy war, but this is a Vim guy that went to Emacs and is using evil mode, which I had never heard about, and it is interesting. Uh, I don't think I'll use Emacs, but I mean, every once in a while, it's nice to see how the other side lives, but uh, it, I just thought it was an interesting read, but those are my two picks. Awesome. So I've got a couple of picks. The first one is that uh, life hacker. Uh, standing desk, like I said, it's pretty inexpensive, and other than the fact that it takes up a bunch of space on my desk, I'm really, I'm really liking it, and I'm planning on using it off and on today. Um, I got it put together yesterday, and then the tension headache that I was trying to ignore that morning just got to the point where I couldn't actually do anything other than lay in bed and wish I could die. So um, I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but I'm pretty excited. Another pick that I have that's related to fitness is the Jillian Michaels Show. It's a podcast, and I, I really, really enjoy it. Her producer is also on the show, and she's kind of an interesting character. But uh, Jillian talks a lot about lifestyle and about fitness, and she has people call in and ask her questions. And Anyway, it's it's really, really awesome. And for those of you who don't know who she is, she's one of the trainers on The Biggest Loser television show. And then I'm I'm gonna double down on the the My Fitness Pal pick because it really is an awesome app and I really like it. So plus one there, and uh, we'll let Joe do some picks. Yeah, I have uh, I've got two. The first one is uh, a piece of software called Flux. I think it's pronounced that way. It's F period Lux, and I think it's been mentioned on on the show before. But uh, they've recently had a new version released, uh, and it's an application that runs in the background and adjusts the color temperature of your screen with the time of day. So as the uh, as it gets later in the day, it makes it warmer and uh, reduces the essentially the, the blue colors. Uh, and I've found that that's been really helpful in getting myself to fall asleep because uh, studies have shown that blue light signals to your brain that, uh, that it's daytime. And, and so staring at a blue-colored screen can actually uh, mess with your sleep patterns. Uh, so Flux, it's uh, available for Windows, Linux, and Mac, and uh, even for jailbroken iPhones. Uh, the the second pick is uh, a talk by uh, Jeremy Walker at uh, Barcelona Ruby Conference this year called Refactoring Your Productivity. Uh, it's it's a soft talk. It's fun, and uh, he's got a lot of great tips for being a mo- more productive programmer, including going for a walk. Awesome. All right, well... I'll have to go check out that talk. I always love recommended conference talks. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap up the show then. Thanks for coming, Joe. Really appreciate you and your expertise in this area. It was a pleasure. If anyone has any questions for you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Do you have a blog or something they can comment on, or would you rather just have them email you or tweet you, or what? Yeah, sure. I'm uh, I'm Codefinger on Twitter, and uh, you can reach me by email. I'm Joe at Logic House, L-O-G-I-C-H-A-U-S dot com. And uh, there's a, a website for the book, healthyprog.com. And uh, you can find more, find out more about it and get in touch with me that way. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, like I said, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week.